Hey everybody, Troy here. Uh, today's episode is a little bit different. Uh, when I was relaunching the podcast from the Athlinks podcast over to Faster Forward show, I had a couple of shows recorded and ready to launch, and then life got in the way. I decided to delay the the launch of the podcast, and uh, frankly, was going to throw some of these episodes away just because it took me so long to get back into it. I went back in and listened to this conversation last week, and frankly, I just loved the I loved the content, I loved the conversation that I had with Dan. Um, and so, Dan King is going to be the guest today in an in an episode that I recorded back in December of 2021. It was days after basically the entire front range burst into flames, right near his home. I think we lost something like 500 homes here in Louisville and Superior and in and around Boulder, Colorado. So we get into that, that a little bit. Dan is a world record master's runner. So he owns the world record for the mile, 60 to 64 year old age group mile at 449, which is just insane. He is a local entrepreneur, sold a company called Ready Talk, uh, and is just an amazing, amazing person. If you've listened to a lot of the other episodes of the show, he reminds me a lot of Bill Bucklew, who is a, a very understated guy, just an absolute silent savage. So I appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks for letting me uh, share this with you. Sit back and enjoy the show and um, let's get it. This week's episode is brought to you by 6minutemile.com. Running and fitness news hand curated and delivered directly to your inbox multiple times each week. These six easily digestible stories, reviews, and moments of inspiration are like the skim for endurance athletes. Sign up today and you'll get stories like the future of artificial intelligence and run coaching, which are the best gym exercises for runners, and comprehensive reviews of the latest and greatest gear from the top brands in the industry. Looking for your next race? 6-Minute Mile has a great event directory as well. Visit 6minutemile.com, pop in your email address, and sign up for your very own inbox full of endurance goodness. 6minutemile.com. With an Olympic hopeful runner for a father and not wanting to compete with his siblings in the family business of running, Dan King pushed off his destiny early in his athletic life with wrestling and other activities. In an effort to build fitness in the off-season, however, he finally succumbed to cross-country where he would show some of the early talent that would earn him a world record in the 60-64 age group mile with a blistering time of 4.49, as well as winning the USATF Colorado Long Distance Runner of the Year for 2021. In his own words, Dan doesn't consider himself competitive, but achievement-oriented, and I think you'll find him to be amazing. So if you're ready for the show, Crank it up and let's go. Welcome to Faster Forward. I am your host, Troy Bousseau. This is a show where we sit down and talk with some amazing people from the endurance community, age groupers and Olympians, adventurers and explorers. We discuss their successes and failures about falling down, getting back up and never ever quitting. While it's not always about finishing, it is most definitely about starting, getting on a journey faster forward. Hey Dan, how you doing? I'm great. Well, welcome to, it's technically, so your show um, 46, but you're technically show number one of Faster Forward. So it's, we're sort well, of- how's that, Troy? I'm not sure I understand. So, it, you know, Faster Forward Show was the Athlinks podcast. We're moving everything over to Faster Forward Show. And so you are show 46 slash one of the new, of the new show. So welcome. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> 
And you've come up. So Dan King is on is on the podcast today. You have come up. You and I have sort of uh, um, been uh, tangentially in some similar circles here. At one point, so you you did, were you a founder of, of Ready Talk? I know you're a CEO. I was. Okay. So you're founder, right. co-founder, CEO, or founder and CEO of Ready Talk, um, which is kind of like a pre-Zoom, basically, is is uh, telephony with video, et cetera. Exactly. Yep. Our our um, our go to market was just you know bringing the the web to remote conference calls, both using computers, using video conferencing, using using web technologies. Yeah, and then you you exited out of that. You sold that, and at one point, I think probably a third of the engineers at Athlinks had come from ReadyTalk. So I've <laughs> I've heard your name you know a thousand times, and when I started the podcast, I think. Todd Straka, Ted Kennedy, and a few others have all said, "Oh, you got to have you got to have him on the show." So, welcome to the show. It's great to finally sit down and chat with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, if you were hiring ex Ready Talk engineers, that's fantastic because we had an amazing, amazingly talented yeah. uh, software development group there. So, well, well, frankly, it was one of the theses. So we moved Athlinks up from Phoenix seven years ago, and one of the one of the things that I had in my mind, now this was kind of, we were about a year before like Google and everybody else got here. So the, my thesis got a little bit blown up because there was then so much competition, but there were so many great tech companies up here. And, you know, we're always looking for areas where you have, you know, whether it was ReadyTalk or to a larger extent, like IBM and Seagate and all of these other great, you know, companies throwing off teams of, not only great engineers, but project managers and software executives and things like that. So it was really beneficial to move up here and get access to just a ton of great people who were well-trained, you know, knew how to, knew how to go to market and things like that. So kudos to you yeah, for being such the, a great team. Yeah. Thank you. One of the things that was, you know, interesting for me when I kind of look back on the journey was how many of like the Bay area tech companies also started coming in into this area. So I felt like ReadyTalk was one of the kind of the early, yeah. uh, really software focused tech companies. Um, I mean, clearly there were some others too, but, um, you know, we started to, you know, compete with Google and Salesforce and uh, Microsoft and they, you know, they more and more um, continued to just create presence in the, the greater Boulder, Denver area, because there is a lot of talent here. So yeah. your, your thesis was accurate. The, yeah. the challenge is uh, <laughs> it got, it got challenging for all of us because yeah. you know, those are, those are impressive companies. And a lot of them brought Bay area salaries to, to the front range too, which was yep. a challenge. Yep. For sure. We were, we were choosing between Austin and, and, you know, the Boulder Denver area. And we, we chose Denver Boulder one. I didn't want to move to sort of Phoenix junior in, in um, in Austin, just climate wise and all that stuff, I was ready for a change, but you know, we just felt, ah, oh, there's too many startups and things in, in, uh, in Austin, we're going to be competing too much there. And then literally within a year of us moving just the entire startup culture here just exploded. So, but again, huh. you know, these are great problems to have, you know, we, at one point we, our average tenure up here for our engineers was five and a half years, which was crazy unheard of to keep engineers in one place for that long. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you've, you've made your mark on the sort of, you know, the, the Colorado scene in, in multiple ways and not only with the startups, but you were, I saw you were just named, um, USATF Colorado, you, and actually your sister. So I want to talk about the genetics in your family because your daughter is, or was a collegiate runner 
also, correct? Yes, she was. Yeah. She ran four years at Santa Clara. <laughs> just finished last year. So you and your sister, Laura, were both named the long-distance runners, I guess, of the year for USATF Colorado, which, you know, it's not like it's South Dakota. I mean, Colorado's got its share of amazing runners. So uh, congratulations on that. And, uh, yeah, you thank you. That was, that was, it's pretty special. It's the first year they're actually doing the, this award program. So um, was that, so. was that sort of like a, a, was it kind of a lifetime achievement, an annual achievement, or was it all based around the meet in September? Like what was the, I, I think, um, I think it's a, it's a, an achievement recognition just for this year okay. um, for the, for the past 12 months, basically. Yeah. I mean, the um, headline... and it was definitely highly influenced by how well we both ran, uh, in Boston. That was crazy. Um, so Lori, Lori and I went there together. Um, they, there's a meet in Lynn, Massachusetts set up for people that want to take, um, take a run at American records for the 60 minutes, um, which is something us track and field keeps records for. And in route you, as a, as a male, you can also, um, you know, you run through 15 K at it's 9.3 miles and then you run through 10 miles and, at my age, I ran roughly 10.3 miles. So, so we went there together. We both had our own race on the track. Uh, and it was super fun to do that with my sister. And, uh, she had to grind it out for quite a bit longer because her, uh, her event ended up running for like an hour and 15 minutes. I was done exactly <laughs> after 60 minutes. <laughs> so how did, how does that, so you're on a track then. So it's an, a one hour run. It's supposed to be. It's a, exactly. Um, it's it's a 60 minute run in Lori's case they let the female masters athletes run longer than an hour if they want to try for some of the other uh records oh, so my it. sister okay. was also going for the 15k and the 10 mile records as well but for her those come after 60 minutes of running Got for it. me they came right before an hour of running wow so you did the what did i just see so was did you each set three records that day because i know you collectively exactly. did six that's right. The pretty much, um, that's probably the majority of the reason why, uh, we both got recognized as masters, um, long distance runners of the year in Colorado. I also broke the, the road mile record last year. Um, nice. so, so I had good range. I had, you know, I was fast from a mile <laughs> up to, up, up to an hour. Was that your 451? No, I ran just under five minutes at okay. Lincoln on kind of a tourney course, but I wanted a shot at the road record because I was running so well. Yeah. Oh, um, the 451, the 451 was, on track. was on a track. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, you know, one thing occurred to me after we spoke the other day, I didn't, I thought you lived like in Boulder proper. You must have been, based on where you said you lived, you had to have been like within a mile of the starting spot of the, the fires. Yeah, that was that was um, that was kind of a surreal day here. Um, I, I was driving home from doing some elliptical indoors at Colorado Athletic Club, and the winds were just yeah. intense. Like I can rarely remember. I mean, Boulder's known for some some high winds, but they were incredible that morning. And as I was driving to my house, which is right off a of baseline, which ended to be right on the the kind of the pre-evacuation line. Yeah. Um, you could see the fires already um, having started over towards Marshall Mesa in that area. You could yeah. see you could see the smoke. And the other thing, looking back on it, there were the fires where they originated, but then there are already fires that had started sort of downwind from the original fires. So all of a sudden, you realized I realized that this is going to be a huge problem today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, had had some embers like caught in a, a swirling wind or something that easily could have hit you. 
Uh, yeah, I think I think we're. It, 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 what's amazing to me, like still being in this community and and looking at where this fire just really devastated homes, is just how the path of the fire just in some places spared some things and yeah. just in other places it just took entire communities um, down to cinder is just really incredible and really tragic i mean who you just don't think about like forests or you don't think about fires in that kind of a context at least right. i haven't i always thought those are things that happen up in the mountains not down in the not down in the foothills 100 percent. yeah i mean there's there, you know when it started my wife sent me a picture and it, I was actually sick as a dog. I think I had COVID in fact, and I was just so achy and I was like, Oh, you know, and i looked at the picture and I'm like, Oh man, that's terrible. But I didn't think there was any way it was going to reach us. And, um, within three hours, I mean, I was up, you know, packing the cars and moving all the photos and, you know, things out of the safe and things like that. So, I mean, it was, it was really scary. And then I think last week we finally got and kind of drove around some of the areas. My buddy, Michael, um, on Marshall Mesa. Do you know where the little salvage yard is on Marshall Mesa? I do. So he mm -hmm. owns the first house right there. He like oh, wow. bought this really cool, you know, it's, it's in this weird little kind of cul-de-sac where there's a salvage yard and he and his wife bought this house, fixed it up, bought the lot next to it. And I mean, there's no house there. There's no nothing there. It is, it is literally just a hole where the basement is. And I mean, right. yeah, oh it gosh. melted, it melted their, I think they had like an Audi Q5 or something and just melted it down to the rubber. It was crazy. Yeah. My niece, uh, Kelly, she lives, uh, her, her house was up on top of Spanish Hills, mm -hmm. right. Um, next to the open space where, uh, there's an open space trail right behind her house and that whole neighborhood got wiped out. Her house did too. It was just tragic. That's a, it's you just don't, you just don't think you're going to have fire like that mm -mm. in in the community like that. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it was such an eye opener for me, but yeah. All right. Well, let's talk, let's talk happier things there, but uh, I'm glad your yeah, house is right? okay. Yeah. I'm definitely glad your house is okay. So, so let's talk, you know, we just talked on your sister, your daughter. I'm curious. Um, you're definitely having insane success, which we'll talk about in a minute here in, in your later years. Again, you're 62 years old, but what was, uh, you've clearly got some great genetics in your family, but what was youth sports and collegiate sports for you? Kind of what kind of an athlete were you growing up? <laughs> a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> Uncoordinated and slow. How about that? Wow. No was, kidding. Uh, you know, I tried, I tried, you know, the, I'll call it the, the big sports when I was little, yeah. I tried, you know, youth baseball, I tried youth football. Um, I really was just like too slow um, and not tough enough for, for those games. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got into um, like junior high school, I decided to try wrestling. So what the context here also is my father, my father has been a lifelong runner and he had Olympic aspirations uh, mm -hmm. when he was in his prime. And when I say lifelong runner, I mean, my dad was the guy who had to get his run in every day. Like wow. even if it meant disrupting the family vacation because he was going to be late to the start of the road trip. Yeah. Um, he just had to get his runs in. <clears throat> and and all of my siblings took up the sport. I have a younger brother, an older sister, and a younger sister. We're all a total of five years apart between the four of us. Okay. And all my siblings um, – were runners and I, you know, psychologically, I just didn't want to compete with my own mm. brothers and sisters and not, you know, 
be and be kind of like crappy at at the family sport. So I just avoided the family sport for the longest time. Um, so I tried wrestling in in junior high school and high school. That was my sport, okay. and I was varsity, but. It was only varsity because there was nobody else in our school as light as me. <laughs> so I got to I got to wrestle like 98 and under. <clears throat> and I was a very average wrestler okay. to be kind about it. And the end of my junior year, I think I also just had enough drive about things that I was like, if I'm going to wrestle my senior year, the only way I'll even make the team is if I improve because I'm going to, I'm going to grow out of this weight class and then I'm going to have to compete with better guys. Yeah. And so I made the commitment to myself that at least I will go out for track to see if I could get a little bit fitter because mm-hmm. I also realized that in wrestling, you know, they're really intense two minute periods. And by yeah. the end of six minutes of wrestling, you're just like absolutely spent. Yeah. And so I connected the fact that if I could improve my endurance, I actually might improve at the sport. And so I went out for track and like literally junior year um, of my high school year, my very first race was an 800 meters. My coach put me in. It was a quadrangular, four schools, four kids per school. I got last. Um, <laughs> probably as much because uh, I was just, my dad had gotten me into training. And so I think I was probably overdoing it. And it was probably pretty cooked yeah. even for my first race. But anyway, I, I ended up breaking my, um, well, my school was only maybe four or five years old anyway. So I broke the school record for the two mile run by the mm. end of my, um, my, my track season. I said, okay, this is a way better sport for me. So whether it means I have to compete with my siblings or not, I'm going to go out for track nice. and cross country next year and drop wrestling. So my senior year, um, I ran cross country and I was probably one of the three best kids in the city, um, in cross country in Colorado Springs. And then in track, um, I think I had my the third fastest two mile time in the state that year. Wow! Um, and so I realized, hey, this is a good sport for me. Um, and when I uh, I was going to see you regardless, um, I, I I got no interest from any colleges about my running. I didn't start really even show up until I was a senior. Mm. Um, and uh, so I just decided to to run and walk on. So I was a walk on at CU. I tried it as a freshman you know, the distractions of college, um, <laughs> sort of won out my freshman year. Especially so CU. I, I, yeah, right. So <laughs> I quit, but I missed it. So my sophomore year, I went out again. Um, and I stuck with it after that. I, I pretty much ran through my, my senior year and I, I earned basically my, my place on the varsity traveling squads, both in track and, and on the cross country team. Yeah. So I was, I was talented enough to be a varsity athlete at a really good, college with a great yeah. running program, but I was pretty much middle of the pack, back of the pack okay. within that environment. Do you think that, did you feel that like wrestling helped you in any way in terms of just core strength? And I mean, just, if nothing else, just total grit being able to one-on-one on a mat, you know, lights on six minutes, you know, only you, do you think that any of that carried over? You know, that's a really interesting question. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, I don't think so much, but I, I think the things to, when you, when you choose a sport where you have to, it, you know, you, you basically are on your own, whether it's wrestling or running, you know, it's sort of on you as an athlete to make what of it you're going to make of it. Um, and if you're kind of driven, I, I've, I've, what I realize about myself is I'm, you know, people would look at me on the outside and say, I'm highly competitive. I actually think I'm just really achievement oriented. Um, I don't really need to beat other people to feel good about myself, but I need to, I need to feel like I did justice 
to my own efforts in the particular activity um, in order to feel like like you yeah. know um, I'm meeting my own standards. Um, so <clears throat> so I'm driven that way. I'm driven by my own performance metrics. Just am I doing? Am I putting in the work and am I getting the kind of results um, for the work that I'm putting in that I feel like I should? Whether or not I'm better than somebody else is sort of irrelevant. Yeah, that's really interesting way of putting it. In fact, that's the, I've never thought about it, but I think that's much more how I am in terms of, I've never been a sore loser. I don't, it's not that I don't like, I don't like losing, but I didn't never, I wasn't the kind of kid who would like cry after losing or what, it just never really bothered me, you know, but it was like, yeah. To your point, the the times that losing has killed me was when I quit and I knew, you know, right. I quit. That yes. was on me. Exactly. Yeah. How many times have you run competitively and you have that little voice in the back of your head saying, this sucks, why don't you slow down? Oh. <laughs> you know? So it's like, and if you ever give in to that, then you have to live with that, you know? You know, it's like, you know, the suffering is is so temporary in 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 endurance athletics and uh but the but the outcome uh you know is sort of permanent like in your mind right like so you know when you when you when you bail just because it's got discomfort you know uncomfortable or whatever yeah it's it's an interesting for yeah. me it's an interesting thing to yeah i, to I process I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day we were talking about the fact that you know i every once in a while you'll see athletes that kind of give themselves permission to, to like, I'll just call it rein it in, yep. um, in a competition because they're just not having their best day. And I just don't do that. Even if I'm sick, I run my guts out. Yeah. And when I'm done, I'm like, okay, it sucked. It was a bad result. I have a lot of reasons for why I was bad, but at least I didn't quit. I wonder if, you know, there are people, I, I wonder in those moments, because we all know now, I mean, there's so much physiological evidence of, you know, lactate threshold and everything else. I wonder the pain, is it a pain tolerance? Like did, did Lance Armstrong metabolize lactic acid better? Like what, what the, the pain that he felt, was it as strong as the pain that I feel? Or was he just a thousand times tougher? Granted, there are massive differences in our abilities, right? So I'm not saying mm -hmm. if I would have just tried harder, I could have been as fast as a Lance Armstrong. But I'm just saying when these guys, when these like really elite, yourself included, are you feeling pain the same way that the rest of us are feeling pain? Or do you just have an ability to sort of block it out better than the rest of us? Oh, man, I wish I had that ability. Yeah. I, you have no <laughs> idea how many times I wish. <laughs> like, why couldn't I block that out and just maintain what I was doing for yeah. that last, say, quarter of the race or whatever? No, I don't put myself in that category. Okay. Uh, and I see, I see athletes that... I wonder if they have just a way higher pain tolerance than I have. I really do because yeah. I look at what I perceive as their there's outward suffering and I go, I can't make myself suffer like that. That's am crazy. I just weaker mentally than they are? Yeah. And sometimes I think maybe the answer is yes, I am weaker. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting question, but maybe they also just manifest, manifest it differently physically in yeah. terms of their face and, Oh, but I see kids who finish races and throw up. I've never thrown up after a race. I've never pushed myself so hard that I've barked. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I interviewed Anthony Famoletti, who's an Olympic steeplechaser. And the, his first, like, real race of his life, he was in fifth or sixth grade. And he was, uh, I think it was a one mile. He was in second place. And, like, he woke up, like, 15 feet from the finish line. 
he had passed out. Yeah. He had driven, you know, and I'm like, and he goes, yeah, so, you know, and I'm like, wait a second, hold, hold up, you know, like I've never ever been able to push myself to the point where I literally passed out when I was running. Like, that's crazy. Right. You and you and I are similar that way, Troy. I have never either. And I see it <laughs> on other athletes and it just, it kind of blows my mind yeah. that people can push themselves through that level of, I'll just call it equilibrium and get so out of whack that, yeah. you know, their whole body shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I look at it and that's one of the things that drew me to it because I was actually more traditional. I was football, baseball, wrestling. Um, and one of the things that I loved about when I first started doing triathlons was just that, that pain tolerance. Cause even wrestling, you're still fighting against somebody else. Like sometimes you just get, you just get creamed. And sometimes the other, you're so much better, you know, than the other person, right. but running exactly. or triathlon or anything individual like that is like, it's just you, you're, you are going to push yourself to that level that you can. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all you, it's all like, if you succeed or fail in the uh, parameters that you and I were talking about in terms of giving it your all, it's like every race, you know, it's like, okay, how much, how much closer to that, how to throwing up, to passing out to whatever can I get <laughs> myself, you know? Oh, and where it's really torturous mentally is like when you're like, like in my case, when I was chasing some records in the last couple of years and, you know, I, I went out to South Carolina and I ran a mile in the American record was 453.1 and I ran 453.4 and, you know, 0.3 seconds in a mile is really goes by pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in, in four minutes and 52 seconds of running. I mean, it's almost, it's 292 seconds or whatever. Right. And so why, why can't I find that extra, like one third of one second, like in that race or the same thing. I, I tried to break five minutes at altitude last summer. I ran five flat 0.2. I'm like, two tenths of a second yeah. really you couldn't find that yeah. <laughs> and i knew i know i'm close it's not like it's you know you're just surprised at the end and somebody tells you your time you, you have a i always have a good sense of like yeah where i am race wise and you know i wear a watch and i hear people telling telling me times it splits and stuff so you know i know exactly how it's going so anyway it's oh, to your point it's just like wh why can't you why can't you just you know just sheerly through willpower. Why yeah. can't you go find those, you know, that extra one half of one second that makes the difference yeah. between. I remember growing up watching, watching the Olympics, like I think it was probably the 76 Olympics. And I remember there was some race and it was kind of an overhead view and they were showing, you know, it was like the person is just right in front of the other person, you know, it's like, just run a little faster. And it's <laughs> right? in your kid brain, it's that easy. Right. And until you right. do it, until you realize what one second in a mile means like that's a, that's an eternity making up one second is like like i need someone else's legs for that you know i know exactly it's crazy it's crazy it's but exactly. you know but then you you know that whole human performance side of things is you know what what are the what are the you know the physiological you know the wind up toy aspect of yourself like what you know how fast you're possibly capable of and and just knowing that or maybe not knowing, knowing there's some amount of time, but not knowing how much it is. Like, is there an extra three seconds in you? Is there an extra 10? Like if you could push yourself to those limits to the mm -hmm. point where you literally passed out as you were crossing the finish line, what is that? What is that time? It's, it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, 
I, I wonder like what, I kind of feel like one of the, the really unexplored domains for me as an athlete is, is the mental side of not only competing, but of just being able to sort of just manage your mind as it relates to preparation and, and competing and, yeah. and uh, you know, what are the barriers there and, and are there, are there ways to sort of hack it that let you gain a slight advantage over what you're able to do without those hacks, you know, it's just like in the training aspects or some of the other things, it's like, what are those things? So well, I've read some interesting books in the last year on that topic, but I, I, I can't really say I've, I've, uh, I don't feel like I'm that far advanced from where I was before I read those books. Yeah. How much time do you spend purely on, like, do you meditate for instance, or, or anything on the men, uh, mental side? Um, you know what, what I have found as an athlete, um, the, the, the big picture thing for me on the mental side that really kind of helps me steer my own personal ship on this journey is that I love to visualize like the realm of the possible for me in, in the way of almost just daydreaming about it. Mm. Like, and I love, I love having like creating visual imagery of things that I know are going to make me feel fantastic. If in fact I pursue them um, because there'd just be such cool things to do. And for me, it works really well if I, I pick things out a little bit in time, but not too far out in time. Like, like right now I'm 62 and I'm almost close enough to 65 where, you know, thinking about how fast I can still run a mile when I'm 65 is kind of a cool thing to think mm -hmm. about. I'm not in any hurry to get to 65, yeah. But it's something to be super excited about when it actually comes to 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 beat. But then I also have like goals for later this summer or this coming summer. And again, same thing. It's like, how cool would it be as a 63-year-old to get on the podium at any of the events I'd like to do at the world championships? Because yeah. that's it's just hard to do a 63 when you're racing a whole bunch of people who just turned 60. Yeah. Um, you know, so so for me, there's that aspect. It's not really meditation. It's sort of just visual imagery about how good that will make me feel and how cool it would be to accomplish that. But then that starts to create this whole cascading of set of effects and behaviors, behavioral changes in me that that's because it does become important to me. Then all of a sudden, I'll just this this journey starts to take shape. Mm. What it what it requires, what kind of investments, what kind of training, what kind of everything, right? And, and then I get pretty excited about it. And, and so I don't like write down really explicit things about these goals, but I just create really strong mental pictures of, of what they are and, and how I'm going to feel if, if those things happen in my life. And it's really interesting for how just powerful that is in terms of just like, you know, setting me off in a direction that will let that happen. And, the, and they have to be challenging things but not like ridiculous things, mm. you know, like things that are way outside yeah. of my, yeah. what I know to be my capabilities. So it's somewhere between a fleeting thought and a meditation. So do you, is it something that you consciously do or is it like you've kind of set this goal of 65, let's say, um, do you, like, do you, do you, um, do you try to go there and think about those things or is it just that you, okay, I've set this goal kind of out there and then I just allow those thoughts to happen or do you physically concentrate on kind of doing that whole visualization manifestation side of things? 
like the 65 is a good example. I, you know, I was, um, I didn't, um, I, I saw the American records for the, the, those distances for like the mile, for example, um, when I was getting, when I was preparing to run a mile in New York city, um, on new year's Eve. And it, it didn't occur to me. I, I had never up to that point ever looked at like how fast do 65 year olds run and what are they capable of? But, but all of a sudden I realized, wow, if, unless I, you know, fall off a cliff, you know, there are going to be some really interesting things for me to chase as a 65 year old. And I also thought, you know, it'd be really cool to still be able to break up five minute mile at the age of 65. I mean, oh, yeah. that's only one other human being has ever done that. Wow. Um, and so, but I want to be the second one to, to do that. Yeah. And, and so that's a really cool goal for me. Um, and then, so it's more of just an exercise of, well, that'd be something to put out there as a really kind of like my own personal BHAG, right? And then it becomes, um, well, so I'm going to age, you know, if, if I follow the normal physiological aging rate of people in my age group, you know, I'll probably lose in about 1% a year. So then I start thinking about what things do I have to do different in the mm -hmm. way I approach my sport? for this to even be a possibility yeah. like my cardiovascular fitness what are the specific things that i have to do as an athlete around weights around you know having explosive reactive muscles um, that allow me to still run those kinds of paces as I, as i age what are those things and so so all of a sudden you know that it's i start to chunk the different things that are going to be part of this um and then and then at some point when it's close enough, they'll just, I'll just have a, a pretty specific plan for, for how I'm going to approach it. Got it. But again, the 65 one is a little bit out there because it's, it's still two and a half years away. Yeah. Whereas like trying to get on the podium in Finland in June, that one's way closer. Yeah. So, you know, that one, that one's um, just, you know, doing the things that I know, but, but also just being really consequent about it. But the other thing I wanted to say is I do meditate a little bit like before competition. So that's different. That's a different yeah. like phase of, yeah. of meditation for me. And there I'll just kind of close my eyes and I'll, I'll try to see how my race is going to unfold. I'll try to see, I'll try to see what the environment's going to look like. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see that it's windy. I'll see that it's hot and I'll, I'll just embrace those things because, you know, the last thing that works for me is to show up and then expect I was going to have perfect conditions. They're not yeah. perfect. And then I'm just like, Oh crap. <laughs> now what? <laughs> yeah. What was your, what was your PR in the mile? Like in college? It's, I think I want one time ran in 800 meters in college and I just barely went under two minutes. I mm -hmm. never raced a mile in college. I one time raced 1500 meters and I don't remember what okay. I raced. Um, it was up in Greeley and I had to hitchhike to the meet because I missed the team bus <laughs> and it took me like seven rides and about three hours to get there. Oh and by God. the time I got there, I was a little bit cooked. Vacation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. It's just so impressive to me. You know, we talked about it a little bit the other day, there's certainly today the trend is, is to, you know, go ultra running and, you know, there's, there's lots of you know, older folks getting into that sport, but the fact that you're still in this kind of performance mindset, um, I just think is awesome. And it's, you know, it's you and I talked about it also is just thinking back to what my grandparents looked like, acted like, you know, the, you know, it was like golf was, you know, extremely strenuous to them in their sixties, <laughs> you know, 
And that's and I think that's one of the cool things that's happening today is I see a lot of people who are, you know, I'm 50, you're 62. My wife was actually reading a thread on Facebook last night about real estate and the number of people who were, well, you know, now that I'm 50, you know, we're, uh, you know, I want to get rid of our two-story house because I don't want to have to walk upstairs and keeping this house clean, you know, now that I'm falling and things and I'm like, holy shit, like what, what you <laughs> fit, like what? Like what, what are you doing? What are you doing in your life? How are you, you know, so I love the fact that you're not only staying fit and and healthy, but fast. And I love that, you know, like you're really going for it at this age, which I think is just fantastic. I so appreciate that you say that. And I, I see, I, I'm exactly the same way about that stuff. Like, like I hear people making life decisions at the same age that I'm at. And I'm just like, why are you giving up on your I feel like you're giving up on your physical self that early in life. I yeah. mean, what's the value there and what's the point of it? You know, like, like I was a ski bum through my twenties after college. Um, I lived in Vail for four years, um, four or five years. And I worked a couple of years at Breckenridge too. And I love to Alpine downhill ski. I just love it. It's just a fantastic sport. And one of my motivators for why I've just, committed to lifetime fitness is I don't want to have to stop doing that sport until it's really time to stop doing that sport. Like I skied the last two days and, you know, I skied more than 30,000 vertical feet a day and it's not a very exhausting thing. It's just fun. Yeah. And I love to ski fast. I love still the rip moguls. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't go off the cliffs anymore because <laughs> the downside of a, a bad landing is way more consequential to me now than it was when I was in my twenties. Yeah. And so I avoid some of the dumb stuff I used to do, but I still like just the, the straight and narrow stuff that I yeah. used to love to do. I don't do it quite as fast, but I still do it almost the same. Yeah. I just, I agree with you. And the way you put it perfectly was just kind of like, you're kind of giving up on yourself so young and yeah, I wonder what the, what their life expectancy of themselves is at that point. Like you're clearly not planning on living into your eighties you know, if you're, if you're already like at 50 thinking, okay, I need to, you know, really slow things down quite a bit. And to me, that's when, you know, I started looking, uh, you know, at much more adding a lot more intensity to my workouts and things, you know, late forties when I felt myself, okay, you're slowing down, you're losing a step. Instead of giving into that, it was kind of like, okay, well, wait a second, let me how do I change my training, my nutrition, my sleep, all of these different things to, to at least stave it off, if not conquer it, you know, to some extent. Right, right. I, I read a fascinating book when I was, when I say fascinating, it, it was a book that just had a lot of meaning to me because it was, it was called Younger Next Year. And it was an old guy and a scientist that were describing both, I'll call it the social aspects of aging in addition to sort of the physiological changes of aging. And one of the really pronounced things for me when I read that book was just the fact that our bodies are sort of programmed to to decline or to to decay, but exercise kind of fends that off. And I just, man, that was just like a wake up call for me. It was, you know, sort of what you're describing. It's like, I was in my forties and it's like, you have to have a lifetime commitment to staying active and to exercising if you want to live well into your 70s and your 80s. And, you know, the other point is, I don't know if I'll live past 80 something, 
maybe not, but I know that I want to be able to just do almost everything I still <laughs> love to do while I'm in my 60s yeah. and while I'm in my 70s yeah. and while I'm in my early 80s. And if I die when I'm 85, hey, you know, that's the cards I'm dealt, then then so what? But at least like those years that I have are going to be quality. Yeah. And, and that's that's just important to me. Yeah, I think the whole notion of like live fast, die young can't be done on your couch, you know, with a bag of McDonald's, <laughs> you know, watching the NFL game. Right. It's like you got to... I, I'm with you. Like I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I'm building my house to, you know, sort of last a hundred years. And if, you know, if it, uh, if it burns down at 65, it does, but I'm still building the house for longevity, you know, you know, for longevity and, and for, for sort of just maximum applicability to yeah. the environment, you yeah. know, the, I want, I want this house to be able to support golf and yeah. skiing, mountain biking, you know, I want it to support things I love to do that I'm just passionate about um, for as long as physically possible, you know? Yeah. And so, so that's the other, the other part of that, right? It helps to live in a place like Boulder for sure. I mean, I'm, you know, you look around and guys like you, Ted Kennedy, you know, I mean, it's just, it's funny. Every time I'm in uh, Whole Foods in Boulder, there's 10 people in the store where you're like, I don't know who that is, but that's somebody, you know, I mean, there are a lot of, <laughs> right. you can just tell that that is a ex Olympian or whatever it is, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's nice living in. And again, this kind of speaks to that whole, what are your, what are your goals in life? What's important to you? And one of the reasons I moved from Phoenix up here with my family was that it was that this, I think is a better place. Um, you know, to go into your latter years surrounded by a lot of people that, that all have that similar mindset. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think that's a really good observation. I think, I think the environment that you're in will, will, will challenge you in some ways and it'll push you to sort of, um, you know, the, I'll just call it the social conformity of it. Boulder is a, an uber athletic community. There yeah. are a lot of great world-class athletes, former world-class athletes, current world-class athletes and future world-class athletes yeah. here. And they're, they're all out and about doing stuff. And most of them are accessible too. You know, yeah. it's like where I, I train at Colorado athletic club. I see Dave Scott over there every now and then we chat. I see Colleen direct there all the time. We chat. They're just great people. And they're, they're such role models, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And, I, and again, I think it's like, uh, you know, who, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and when is it that you do grow up? You know, it's like, I'm, I'm still growing up in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> like the idea that, um, you know, the, uh, my next door neighbor here, they're, they're, they're retired, they're in their sixties and, and where I live in the subdivision, there's half of it is, you know, families. And then the other half is a retirement community. And, they they like toured one house and sort of went through the clubhouse over there and they said no way like there's no <laughs> way we're living over here so they moved you know next to us young whippersnappers over here but but I'm the same way it's just like I do, I don't want to be um your your dad had the great quote or whatever he was living by the squaring your life curve which I thought was really cool and it's like yeah I you don't have to, like, you, we're all going to decline. We know that, you know, you're going to get a little bit slower, but this, like going into the game, knowing you're going to lose is very different than going in there with a winner's mindset. And I kind of look at it the same way of just, you know, I know it's going to be a tough grind, but I still plan on winning this game. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it does. Um, 
you know, my my dad's philosophy was, you know, like the scoring the life curve idea was, you know, it was quality of life over over extending life, right? It's like how do you how do you how do you square out that that curve of decline as as you age and and that mindset creates um, just it it opens you up to sort of what's possible and curiosity around um, you know both what you can still do, but then what do you have to do in order to to make that reality? And to your point, that's back to things like sleep and nutrition and you know connections, um, you know strong healthy human relationships in your life, things like that. Yeah. Those those things actually tend to to actually have a a big bearing on all of that yeah so i'm getting way better at the sleep thing now that i'm retired i'll tell you what maybe that's why i'm getting faster <laughs> yeah it's uh when i left athlinks um I'm, I'm working too much right now but i'm being much much smarter about it, it helps to have smaller teams and uh working remote actually does help quite a bit in that regard because i can i can sort of move my schedule around quite a bit but uh sleep was uh Sleep was a thing that up until about a year ago, I had a really, I've always been a night owl and been in a, you know, software development or creative pursuits that if you're on a flow, like you're just, you know, next thing you know, it's two, three o'clock in the morning and, and you're still up, you know? Right. So well, let's talk about your accomplishments for a minute. So it's kind of a chicken and an egg um, question because you, I mean, you're insanely, um, Give me your your running resume here. What what records do you currently hold? Um, I broke since uh, since December of twenty twenty. So that's what thirteen months. I broke the Ameri American record for three k on the track. I broke the American record for five k on the track around sixteen forty eight which was uh, a record that has stood for over 40 years. It's crazy. And then I ran, um, I broke the American road mile record. I ran just under five minutes um, for 60s. I ran, I broke the world record and the American record for the track mile. And then I broke uh, the 15,000 meters, the 10 mile and the 60 minute records. Um, for sort of long distance. Um, and then in that same period of time, I also won three national cross country championships for my age. Two of them were actually winning the race because they ran 60s and up as its own co cohort. And then uh, I got second in the Dipsy Trail race. So that in terms of broad brush yeah. pictures of my accomplishments over the last 13 months, those are those are the highlights. And, and somehow you say that and still sound humble saying it, which is impressive. <laughs> Maybe more impressive than the records, <laughs> but those records are insane. And so my, my question with that is, is kind of like, again, it's like a chicken and egg is, is, is your success the motivator? I don't know how I'm going to, how I'm going to correctly answer this or ask this question, but are you so dedicated because you're so good or are you so good because you're so dedicated? If, if that makes any sense. Oh, well, I would be de dedicated whether or not I ran any records or not. Yeah. Nothing really has changed for me in how I approach training. Um, you know, it, it, I'm not, I'm not a complete like one year wonder in terms of just having success running. I won, I've won some things and like in my, my earlier fifties, I won a, 
a world masters cross country championship. I won a club national cross country championship. Um, I won Ted's uh, fittest CEO (laughs) competition when I was 53, which I think surprised a lot of those younger CEOs. Um, So, so it's not like I'm a, like haven't ever done anything athletically in my life. It's just interesting that in the last year um, I've just sort of all just said, had a, a sort of a breakthrough level of success. Like my age grading has gone up from like high 80s, low 90s to over like 95, 96% Mm. for some of my events. And it's just, I'm just performing at a much higher level relative to my age than than I ever have. To be really blunt, some of that is because I've just been able to stay healthy um, with my recurrent plantar fasciitis problems. I've been able to run more and, and run more quality. Some of it is because shoe technology is better. We are, you're seeing a lot of records broken, not only in masters, but in open and elite running. Cause yeah. there's just, you know, and those are, those are small changes, but, but they still matter in terms of records. Um, and then some of it is because I'm retired. I just have more time to de- dedicate to the sport. The, the thing that's different there, it's not so much that I, I, I train, like a lot more endurance hours per week, but I can do the other things now. Mm-hmm. I can lift weights. I can work on mobility. I can work on flexibility. I have time for some of those things that yeah. I didn't used to have time for. Yeah. Um, where it was either, you know, do a long ride or go to the gym yeah. or go, you know, go, yeah. you know, get some stretching and that kind of work in. So yeah. that that's been a a big change for me too. stretch for 30 seconds after a workout and like, Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, like swing my leg back and forth two times and call it good. <laughs> Check the box. Man. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's, that is, I can definitely, I think I'm sure most of the listeners can absolutely relate to that exact thing, which is, you know, it's like, all right, swim, bike, run, lift, stretch. I'll do my swim, bike, run. You know, it's like, right, that's, exactly. that's what I have time because we're, and we're all wired to think that way. I mean, and, and I think probably realistically or reasonably, I think, I think it's sort of like, those are, those are the, those are the macronutrients of the diet. The micronutrients matter and you can get really sick if you haven't attended to the micronutrients of your diet, but you're always going to put most of your energy into the macronutrients. Right. And so yeah. it's sort of the same thing as it relates to training your, your macronutrients are your swim, bike and run Yeah, as a triathlete. Yeah. I mean, do you look at like, um, part of that? Well, I mean, now I can't even say that because you were doing, you know, uh, so many races and things I was going to say is, you know, it's, it's the, as busy as you were at work, um, did that sort of save your body for these later years? But I mean, you were, you were doing it all that whole time. So that, that would have been stupid of me to say, so forget I said it. (laughs) No, I, yeah. Um, I, here, a good example, though, it's like the way I would fit it in when I was a CEO of a company in Denver, like like from April until October, I would ride my bike into my office twice a week. You know, that was 35 mile bike ride in the morning, you know, leaving my house yeah. usually around five o'clock between five and five thirty. Um, and, you know, you just have to make some sacrifices yeah. to get training in when you have that lifestyle. So you know, I don't have to get up at five 30 to train anymore. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) But I was, I was totally even willing to do it back then because, because I I am motivated and I I don't like to just, when I do things, I like to do them really well. Like whether it was being a CEO of a company, you know, I, I, my personal brand and my results get really kind of tied up together. And, you know, it's um, now that I've had such good success running, it's almost like, 
I'll disappoint myself and everybody else if I don't show up yeah. and ready to go, you know? So like, it's hard not then to, yeah. to, to do the things necessary to bring your best performances. Do you, th- do you think you'd be performing as much and, and, uh, not the results, but your personal, um, the efforts and things like that. Would you, be, do you think you'd be doing the same volume and quality um, if you, if you weren't winning these races, if you were, you know, kind of coming in 10th place and things, uh, ooh, there's a really spicy question. I have to think about that. Um, I do think I do a little bit more because I think more begets more in a sense yeah. of like, like the records in the last year, I never chased records mm. in my life. And then all of a sudden the, you know, the, the, that's just taking a little step back here, but it's because I find this fascinating about myself. Like, like I looked at like what the records were for the mile before I turned 60. And I basically said, Nope, (laughs) (laughs) that's not going to happen. That's not even in my, it's not even in my, in my vernacular or my conversation. It's not my space. Those are other athletes that can run that fast. Not me. Um, and so, but I wanted to see if how close I could get to six to the, um, the five, five minute miles a six year old. Okay. And I, and I kind of got excited that that might even be possible because Nike had the quote unquote 4% shoe. And I thought, well, I could do it four years ago. I probably lost 4% over those four years, but if there's a shoe that gives me those 4% back, then I should be running the same times I was running when I was 56. So, so it should be possible. Um, and it's funny. I just convinced myself that that was a good enough reason to try to, to run a, a five minute mile. And then the pandemic hit, and rather than just take one stab at the mile and either get it or not, I was like, I didn't really have anything to train for anyway. And so yeah. I just thought, hey, I should just see what it's like to train for a mile over some period of time. And I started training the mile and I just continued to get faster at it. And it was kind of like, wow, I did a, a virtual Brooklyn mile. Um, so the Brooklyn mile is a race in Brooklyn, New York, that uh, race organizer, um, Matthew Rossetti, he put on a virtual race and he put prize money associated with it. You could run it anywhere and he basically age graded it. And he also allowed you to sort of adjust, um, have an altitude conversion. Mm. And I, I ran and you, you could, you could, you could also identify a point to point course. You're just using your garment to track okay. your data. So it could be, it just couldn't be more than 1% downhill. So it couldn't be more than 52 feet of decline. Okay. Um, or descent. And so I found a 40 foot drop point to point mile, basically. And I ran 457. And I was like, man, uh, you know, and it, it aged, sorry, that altitude adjusted to 452, which is right where the world record was for the mile at the time. And I was just like, holy cow, you know, so all of a sudden, you know, I went from thinking it was not even in my, my, um, my wheelhouse anywhere. And then it was something that was like, okay, this is something I actually should see. You know, if I, if I continue to put energy into this event, let's see where I can take it. So what, what is your, tell me about the easy interval training and and just kind of describe your training for, do you, are you training more often specifically for the mile or cause you did, I mean, these three events, the mile, the 5k, the one hour, et cetera. So where, like, what are you tailoring your training toward most? And then tell me about the easy interval stuff. Yeah. So, so last year I, I put in, I'm an endurance athlete and I almost, uh, just by default, I kind of train for longer, longer things anyway. That's just sort of my natural, 
my natural state of being as a human being. I, I don't really consider myself a miler, even though I broke a world record in that event. I consider myself more like a 5K, 10K mm. kind of a runner. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, so easy interval method was, so I, I kind of follow, you know, the in terms of how I train, you know, I, I sort of have a different, um, I've developed a different structure for training than probably almost anybody you'll bump into. And that's been just purely born out of necessity and the types of injuries I've always been dealing with. So I, I can't run every day because I, I'm worried that I'll blow up my, my plantar fasciitis. And plantar fasciitis ended my college running. It came back in my 40s. I could never get rid of it. Wow. Um, I spent a lot of money and a lot of, saw a lot of doctors and PTs and podiatrists and all the mo- things I tried and all the money I spent. Nothing really ever made it much better. I finally ruptured it, which helped. And then I had a surgery on it to get rid of some of the scar tissue and that helped. So I've been able to train better over the last couple of years. But the fact is I don't, I rarely run more than 30 miles in any given week. And mm-hmm. so the, I, I cross train more than I run okay. as an athlete. I pool run, I do elliptical training. I ride my mountain bike in the spring, summer, I ride my road bike um, and, you know, those are probably the primary um, uh, events that I do just to, to stay fit. And then I run every other day. And, and so my other, every other day running, my running got faster because I would get maybe every fourth day I was getting good quality running in there, like high intensity stuff. But then I, uh, I heard about this new method called easy intervals. And uh, the idea behind easy intervals is that, rather than run steady state to build your aerobic fitness, you, you alternate between a little bit faster intervals and then very relaxed running over say the same duration so that you're having a lot of pace variation in your running. Um, and it, the idea resonated with me because, um, I like running faster than running steady state. Number one just makes me happier. So, so that seemed like a good change. It also seemed like maybe I would, get injured less frequently than I had been getting injured. So that was the other reason for me to make the change. Um, and so I started doing that at the end of 2020 and I pretty much did it all of last year. And so the first part of the year, I just kind of, I did a lot of easy 1k intervals. So for me, I run those in about four minutes and then there's probably another three to four minutes of very comfortable running. And the whole run will be just alternating 1k at maybe let's just say 645 mile pace followed by maybe a half a mile of 830 mile pace okay. with a little bit of walking um, as well, right after the mm. interval. Um, and, and I started training like that. And then when I started getting I, so, so it was more just longer training runs and longer interval dis, um, in the early part of the season. And then when I got towards when I wanted to start running the mile, the intervals became 400 meters and 200 meters instead okay. of the, the one case. <clears throat> So I run the I run the 200 meters at my 3K race pace, and I run the 400 meters at my roughly my 10K race pace. Wow. Okay. But there's a nice recovery between each one, and so the entire run is just alternating, you know, 200 meters of fast running, 200 meters of very very comfortable running. And I think the thing that helped me with that training is that um, I got my body, my running economy just got better. Um, at faster distances or sorry, at faster paces 
hmm. across really all the distances I race. So I had a really interesting year. I wasn't expecting to be super fast at um, like 10K, but I ran Fortitude in 36.07, wow. which age graded like 92.5. And um, that, I mean, for a 62-year-old, I was a, yeah. I guess I wasn't quite 60. I was a, a week before 62, but. Um, was Fort Collins higher than 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 Boulder or, or about the same? No, it's 5,000 it's 5, feet. 5,000, so 200, but still, you know, almost a mile up there. Yeah. Wow. So, so I guess to, to summarize that the easier interval structure actually suits me super well because yeah. I run the easy interval and then I have a cross training day, which tends to be pretty low intensity. So even if I'm overdoing my paces a little bit on my easy interval days, yeah. I'm feeling pretty recovered most of the time. When they're short intervals and I didn't, too. Yeah. A lot, a lot of short and medium length intervals. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, I tried to race a lot um, in lieu of doing kind of high intensity training. So I did a lot of, track races in the spring i raced the 800 meters i raced the mile I raced the 1500 meters um, and then in the second half of the year i kind of switched back to just the longer racing so i kind of dropped some of the 200s i kept some of the 400s but otherwise i was doing the longer stuff again hmm. so i had just sort of this interesting cycle that kind of ran through my uh, my my calendar just based on what fell you know what things were interesting me from a um, a race perspective. Yeah, it's super interesting. I've, the, the one thing that I've noticed is, uh, even when I was, I was sort of injuring myself on these really super long trail runs, but I, I, I think it was frankly more that I was in, I was setting myself up for injury on my interval days. And I was running half mile intervals, probably faster than I should have been. And then when I would, when I would do these long, slow, quote unquote, recovery runs, I think my body mm. was just so beat up. And, and I also had the plantar fasciitis pretty severely. So when did you, when did you go plant-based? Uh, when I turned 50. 50. Okay. Yeah, I read a, I read a book called China study. It just was a complete eye opener to me about Western diet. And, you know, when I thought about what my goals were in life, you know, we were talking earlier about this quality of life and, you know, what it seemed like my diet was risky from the standpoint of my own personal longevity. And if you think about it as an endurance athlete, you know, the, the muscle that matters most in your, um, in your uh, chassis is your heart. Yeah. If you lose the heart muscle, you kind of don't have endurance athletics as an option anymore. So, and I feel like, based on having read China study and put my nose more into this, I realized that, you know, that the, the best way to take care of my heart was to eat a, a whole food plant-based diet. And, uh, and so I've just made that change and I've stuck with it ever since. How, how difficult was the change? How were you eating before and, and then therefore after, like, were you otherwise very healthy, but meat-based or were you? I was pretty healthy and yes meat based i would you know like lunch usually was chipotle chicken tacos or something like that yeah. i ate some red meat i wasn't a huge red meat eater but i ate plenty of red meat too yeah. i i just kind of ate the way most people eat you yeah. know um i hadn't really given it much thought um until i had read until i read that book and and kind of was kind of a real eye opener for me so the bit, the other change, I think my diet got better once I got more mindful about it. When I say got better, it got better in the sense of like less processed foods, mm -hmm. more whole foods, um, 
you know, things that are otherwise going to be good for you, whether you're eat, whether you eat meat or not. Um, but I, I also think just the, the low inflammatory nature of a plant-based diet is really complementary to, to good endurance athletics was, and it's good complementary to heart health. Was that what caught your eye in, in the book? Like what was the thing that really jumped out that said, Oh, I need to try this. Was it the inflammation, um, the heart? I, it was, it was just how much disease we have in our society that is really directly goes back to what people are eating. Yeah. Um, and by disease, heart disease, number one, large cell cancer, number two, and autoimmune disease yeah. were the three things. And, you know, the, the, the China study was more about showing the correlation of diet and disease rather than the causation of this, eat this, and it's causing this. They, they didn't really have the science for that, but, yeah. but it was still really compelling for me anyway. Do you, do you notice, um, I, I would assume, do you ever, I would assume, do you fall off the wagon ever? Like, do you ever crave it? Do you ever? Not with meat. No, yeah. I, I haven't had meat in 13 years now, man. Wow. It, it's, it's funny. It's, you know what? Okay. So I do though, because, and what's kind of cool right now is that like, I mean, there is absolutely a market trend happening around like uh, alternate meats right yeah. like plant-based meats yeah. um like impossible burger and beyond burger for example i mean those things taste just like hamburger to me yeah. ever used to taste at least the way i remember it and i still love those things yeah. so so you know i have i have impossible burger or beyond meat burgers like probably once a week okay um i use i cook a lot with the the gardein fake meat products too um, as a, so, so I guess I feel like I still get to eat the things that yeah. used to taste good to me. Right. I'm just not eating those things anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, steak would be very, very difficult for me to give up, but at the same time, there is so much of that, that is really just like the spices and combinations of flavors that I'm sure if I were, you know, if, the, if I were so inclined to, to make that change, I think I could easily substitute some things for the, you know, I mean, Yeah. I've it's all, it's pretty easy in 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 life right now to 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 make those changes just yeah. because there is such uh, market driven energy behind things that are like pretty adequate substitutes now. Yeah, I'm I usually go the opposite of what I'm being told to do though, so it makes me want meat more. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's such a, and I think that there is an aspect of the you know, one size rarely fits all in that regard. Like I think, I think for some people that is absolutely game changing for their health and for their fitness and performance and all of those other things. And some other people I know that are, that are, uh, plant-based that, I mean, you can just see that, see it on them. They, it just doesn't agree with them or the way they're doing mm -hmm. it or whatever it is, you know? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to try it. I, I do want at some point to, to give it a good go and see how it suits my body. Um, because I think that there are some performance things that I definitely, I don't deal sev with severe inflammation, but I definitely notice when I'm inflamed after certain meals or whatever, or if I'm eating too much of the same thing too often, things like that. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. Like, um, in my age group in the 60 plus category, the guy who got the uh, U.S. Track and Field National Award for Track Athlete of the Year is vegan. He broke the world record for 800 meters last year. 
um, the guy who has been Harrier of the Year in cross country for many years in a row and usually wins the most prize money of anybody in these competitions. He's vegan. <laughs> and then there's me. So <laughs> Come on, I dude. know it's not a competitive disadvantage. <laughs> I wish those two guys would start eating meat so I could win all of these awards. No. <laughs> You're not supposed to give me this good evidence. <clears throat> <laughs> You're supposed to say, you know, the other two guys that are so fast, man, they, they literally are eating steaks at the start line, you know, right before the race. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear oh, you. Now, look, I know there, there's a lot of great evidence and, you know, compelling, compelling evidence for that. I, I tend to sort of live in the world of, you know, kind of, you know, a lot of functional fitness and judo and things like that. And then also the endurance on the other side. So it's like, one day I want to gain 10 pounds of muscle and the next day I want to lose it all. So it's, you know, I'm always <laughs> sort of swinging back and forth. Uh, luckily I'm a very mediocre endurance. Well, I'm at this point, I'm a very <laughs> mediocre athlete on both sides of it. So I don't have a big it's, pull it, one way or the other. I know it's, it's funny. I, um, you know, weight is like such a, uh, I, I love at this age, I, I, I go in, in the gym and I actually just do weightlifting just because it makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. I realize it's not helping me whatsoever <laughs> as an endurance athlete. Like, and if I gain weight, it's actually probably hurting me, but I, I like how I feel. Right. So it's like, all right, yeah, yeah so there's, make, make some sacrifices. There is something, I think, again, it's kind of like the vegan on the body type and that's, I mean, there are, you know, more wayfish uh, built people. I'm not built like that. Um, not that I'm a really big guy by any stretch, but like I, I have noticed, you know, I did so much lifting at a young age. If I don't now lift, uh, I'm a wreck. I don't, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. my running form, my swim form, all of it just falls apart because I think I've, for whatever reason, you know, it's like I sort of tend to muscle through things rather than technique, if that makes sense, that if I'm not strong, yeah. I'm just an absolute disaster. Well, I, I think you're you're also onto a really important idea about aging well, though. I think yeah. that the resistance training is actually pretty 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 critical. Yeah, um, I think more athletes should be doing it. Well, the, I mean, the evidence behind the you know like high intensity anaerobic workouts and staving off Alzheimer's and things like that is is really compelling. There's a lot of Alzheimer's in my family, so I'm super hyper uh, aware of that. But just the you know, I don't, there's the science behind it all. I won't go into and stuff, but the, the, the evidence definitely shows really, really high intense, you know, exercise at least a couple times a week, you know, can help you immeasurably in those areas. Yeah. I, I think there was some science that was reported on in runner's world just recently on that very topic. Mm. Yeah. That was said specifically followed athletes and two cohorts and, there was definitely a correlation um, to Alzheimer's and having less of it in the in the group that was doing the high intensity training. So yeah, yeah I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, and if look, if nothing else, I just I don't want to have to sell my house when I'm 55 to get a one story because I can't <laughs> walk up the stairs. <laughs> right. Jeez. Wow. Well, this uh, this is awesome. What what else? Okay, so you've got some races this summer. What's what's the what's the rest of the year look like for you? Or not the rest of the year? What does the year look like for you? Um, so I'm trying right now. I'm like I'm mostly focused on trying to get my hip back to 100% health. I kind of raced the last five months of 2021 with uh, tendonitis mm-hmm. in um, in my hip, and it didn't 
shut me down obviously because I won most of the um, competitions that were important to me but um, but it was definitely it's just irritating because I can't train the way I want to train so so the first third of this year is just my hip health and getting a lot of skiing in and cross training almost not exclusively but mostly cross training and then um, I was actually trying to figure out the things that matter to me most in uh, 2022 competitively is um, doing well at the world masters track and field championships i want to run the uh, ak cross country the 5k and the 1500 meters there i want to break the uh i want to break five minutes for the mile again as a 63 year old so i have to wait until june to do that because it will make me the oldest american to have ever done that <laughs> and it'll make me the third oldest person in the world to have wow, ever done that that is unreal Right now, I'm the fifth oldest person in the world, but next year, as a 63-year-old, only only two other people over the age of 63 have ever done that. Wow! Um, so that that's an important goal for me. So uh, I might try to go to Music City Distance Carnival in uh, early June, right after my birthday, and do that. And then, um, you know, I also would like to win the uh, the Nash. I'd like the the award for the uh, the Nash the individual Grand Prix next year. Um, for U.S. track and field, so is that what basically the... it's a it's a cumulative scoring thing um, that you get points if you run in some of the USATF national championship events. Okay, and so I've won the first two already, so I'm solidly in first place. But I have to I have to do at least three more to to get a pretty high score. So I'll probably do the the road mile championships in June. I'll probably do the um, the 5k cross country race here in Boulder in October and then one other event. So, wow. and again, so yeah, those are, those are kind of my high points. Somehow you say all that and still sound very humble in all of it. So <laughs> <clears throat> you do, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's, uh, there are some people who would say the exact same things and just sound, you know, you just sort of like rooting against them because, you know, it's like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, but no, it's, uh, I don't know. There's just, uh, you know, just a very humble, thoughtful guy and just an absolute inspiration. So, so well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I will tell you that, you know, I realize one of the things that just really powers me also is I just love this sport. I yeah. just love it. I mean, and, and I actually, I'm really grateful to, for the fact that I still get to do it at the level I do it at as Amen. a 60 something, you know? Amen. And, you know, I, I get that, you know, that my clock is ticking a lot faster than it's ticking for a lot of other runners because I'm already in my early sixties and I'm only going to be able to enjoy competing at a high level for so, so many years. Yeah. And so I, I, I cherish every moment of it. And I just, I mean, it's just a, it's a wonderful sport. There's a wonderful community around it. And um, yeah. So if, if I sound humble, it's probably because in a lot of ways, I, I just, I realize I'm lucky. Um, you know, I I've learned so much about the sport and I've, and I, I continue to build my own personal knowledge base that helps me, yeah, you know, operate in, in an effective way, but I don't take any of this for granted. And so, and I, de I definitely don't feel, you know, uh, my one year of success isn't, isn't worthy of like turning me into <laughs> some arrogant putts about my running. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you get the itch to go back into the, um, I know that you do like, um, entrepreneurship coaching and business coaching and things like that, but have you, if the right idea hits you again, are you, are you into that? Are you, you sort of like happily enjoying retirement? You know, I, I, I 
funny enough, I, I really struggled with that right after retirement. I guess I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with it mm-hmm. um, since. Um, it, it's sort of a transition to, you know, I, I was really wanting to jump back in almost immediately. And I was yeah. just like, well, why? Well, you know, I didn't, didn't have the right idea and I um, didn't have the right, I'll call it, cohort of people I wanted to work with um, that on anything that really made sense. So, so it's, it's lost a little energy, but if the right thing came back up, I actually could see myself doing that. I don't feel that old, you know, it's like, no. and part of the, part of, I think, you know, part of living well is having purpose in life and, and there's more purpose than just the athletic side of things. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely wanting to, to make contributions and, and give back in meaningful ways and make society better. Yeah. But it would definitely need to be the right opportunity because I'm just not going to go back into that grind again yeah. for the sake of being in the grind. Yeah. Well, again, you you strike me as a very very thoughtful guy, and so I'm I'm curious to to know on that side. It's you know rather than just again kind of like a you know a bull in the china shop type of CEO. Like again, just in in some of your answers and the way that you process things is uh, it, there's a lot of thought going on there. Uh, in addition to obviously intelligence and other things, but just that, you know, I would think that there's a, there's a, uh, much like running is to your body. There's a sort of, uh, there's an exercise for your brain that, you know, at some point you're going to want to, you're going to want to pick back up. Yeah. You know, what I, what I realized, um, both in entrepreneurship and running is that you sort of build, you know, you, your values sort of inform the philosophies that you develop around those particular parts of your life, both building businesses and how you, how you organize and run companies. And then also how you train, train to be an athlete. And, and over the years, you, if you're, you know, you, you stay open-minded and, and you're passionate about those things, you just build on that body of knowledge in a, in a way that's um, reinforcing. And, you know, there's, there's a million ideas, for example, about different ways to run a company, but, you have your values and what you think are important about how you treat people and how you organize people and how you do things. Right. And then over time, you just continue to build on that initial base of knowledge and it just grows and grows and grows and, and, you know, and and it gets really way more compelling. And the same thing happens with how you train, like the way I train myself as an athlete is pretty unique to me just because I've been open-minded about the sport and I've wanted to continue to do it even when I haven't been able to. So it's actually forced me to have to look at things in some really kind of new and novel ways in order to stay fit and stay healthy and, and see if I could continue to, to excel as an athlete. And um, I find that's one of the things when I look back on all of this is that, you know, both of those, uh, areas for me have just really, they're both, they feel really well developed at this point. You know, I know there's lots more to learn Yeah. both as an athlete and as an entrepreneur, but, um, but I definitely have a, a, a strong base from which, um, where I'm at at this point in my life. Yeah. So if the right opportunity came up, I for sure. Yeah. And I, and I know myself, I probably am going to have to put the energy in to make that right opportunity show up rather than have something just like slide right. into my lap, you know? <laughs> Sure. Well, that was a great answer. It was a great, uh, a great place to, I think, stop the conversation. We're just a little over an hour here. So, uh, you know, look, I thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy that this was my first, uh, first sit down back and uh, looking forward to a lot of other conversations. We're in the same, same town here. So let's definitely grab coffee one day. And uh, I can't help you much on the track, but I can, I can definitely share a coffee with you. <laughs> 
Troy, I think that sounds great. I really appreciate that you made time for me for um, your yeah. podcast. I think that's fantastic. My and absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. I would love to grab a coffee. That sounds a super. I, I will put that on my calendar as soon as we're we're done with our call. Well, perfect. All right, I'm going to walk us out here. This is uh, I've got new theme music and everything, so we'll see how this goes. But uh, well, that is the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Dan King for sitting down and sharing an hour with us. Be sure to follow Dan on Instagram. He is at underscore boulderdan underscore. So a little uh, wings there for him. Uh, I'm going to ask a special favor here. We are building this show quite literally back from scratch, so please take a minute and follow us on your chosen socials. We are at Faster Forward Show on Instagram. So if you'd be so kind, it really does help us grow and your support is much appreciated. If you liked the episode, be sure to give us, uh, you know, some comments and ratings and things like that. Share it with your podcast loving friends. Let us know in the comments if you have any guests you'd like to hear on the show. Drop us a note or an email at Troy at Faster Forward Show. And as always, until next time, keep moving faster forward, everybody. That was great. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you. It felt good. It felt comfortable. Yeah, it was fun.